All right, it's getting more interesting. The controversy involving the Washington Commanders and whether or not there was ticket revenue withheld from the visiting team's fund. There's Daniel Snyder, the guy who's not in day-to-day operation control of the Commanders, showing up first to tell everybody what the new name was back on February 2nd. So yesterday, we made a very simple point. If someone is speaking to the U.S. House Committee on Oversight and Reform and saying or alleging to be accurate, alleging that there was some sort of a scheme where ticket money wasn't properly shared with the NFL's visiting team fund, that's something that you would think the Washington Commanders would specifically and loudly deny. As of yesterday morning when we were doing the show, they hadn't. The league's comment was no comment. At some point yesterday, after we cajoled them both on this show and in writing at PFT, here's what the commanders had to say. There's been absolutely no withholding of ticket revenue at any time by the commanders. Those revenues are subject to independent audits by multiple parties. Anyone who offered testimony suggesting a withholding of revenue has committed perjury, plain and simple. Pretty strong response. Yep. Pretty strong effort to refute what, as it turns out, And we can now piece this together through implication and reporting. And some of the reporting came from The Athletic. Jason Friedman, a 24-year employee of the Washington Commanders, is the person who apparently testified to the Committee on Oversight and Reform and made the accusations. Now, as The Athletic reports that he made the accusations, this is per an unnamed source who spoke to Daniel Kaplan of The Athletic, he made the accusations without adding any evidence a statement that was issued by Friedman's lawyer, Lisa Banks, last night, who represents more than 40 former employees of the team. She pointed out that there is evidence to back up Jason Friedman's claim and the very strong implication from this statement. I'm not going to read it, but the strong implication is, number one, Friedman is the one who went in there and said these things. Number two, he would say them publicly, but he's subject to some sort of restriction that they would like the team to lift So he can tell his story. So, hey, let's go. Let's hash it out in the court of public opinion. Let this guy tell his story, Washington commanders. If he's wrong and he tells it publicly, sue him for defamation. Let him walk into the trap if you think he's wrong. It's that simple. Let him. If he wants to speak publicly, let him do it at his own legal peril. If he's telling a lie about the commanders or maybe he can back it up. One way or the other, we got to get to the bottom of this. There's no gray area. It happened. Or it didn't. And you got one guy who's very confident, apparently, that it did. Yeah. And you got a team that's very confident that it didn't. Let's go. Let's find out. Let's see the evidence. Let's hear the testimony. Let's see whether or not there's something to this, Chris. I agreed. I mean, it's just this gets juicier by the day. It really does. I mean, that was a strong comment by the commanders, definitely. Uh, but, you know, again, to, to hear some of the details there, somebody come out and say, oh, he does have the evidence or is the evidence to back that up. Man, uh, I don't know where this goes. It's just it's unbelievable, Washington, and it's unbelievable where they're at. And uh, it just it, it seems like they got enemies at every corner. That's what it seems like. That's what it seems like with the Washington commanders right now. You know, you just get the feel that they've mistreated and not been great to people for so long that it's like the Pied Pipers kindly come home to, you know, karma's here. It's like the payback. I, I don't know what else to say. Um, but it's, it's man, dysfunctional to say the least down there. And if this happens or this found to be true, holy cow, see you later, Dan Snyder. Karma and Pandora side by side in Washington. Uh, <laughs> They're and- in there. But, but, you know, it didn't occur to me until we were talking about it today. 
if Jason Friedman is willing to tell tell a story publicly, unless this is some big bluff by attorney Lisa Banks, who knows that there's no way that the team is going to lift its NDA. But if he's willing to tell his story and he knows the reputation and the history of Daniel Snyder of suing anyone, not anyone, but he has he has proven that he's willing to assert his legal rights when it comes to things that people say that he factually disagrees with. That would be the the obvious response. And if I'm Snyder, it's like, yeah, let the guy talk. If he's wrong and he goes out and tells lies about me, if he tells lies about me stealing from my partners, yeah. Yeah, we'll go after him. Let him talk. So I just say let's get to the truth. But I just say let's go. One way or the other, let's get to the truth. Yes. We just need to get to the truth. Whether it happens within the confines of the U.S. House Committee on Oversight and Reform, whether the league looks into it, how can the league not be looking into this? If you're the NFL and this is if and this lands on your radar screen unexpectedly, there's a possibility that a team has now. Now maybe the league maybe the league doesn't want to look into it because the league was supposed to catch it. We saw the reference to the well, independent that's audit. What you were saying yesterday, maybe, right? Maybe, yeah, maybe the league doesn't want to say, mm, yeah, you know. Huh. Yeah, we're not that well, good at checking we're, our we're own books. Very, we, Yeah, we, you know, what happened was we were supposed to do it, and uh, we just didn't. I also think the league. no one's going to do this. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, that's, that's where I was shocked yesterday, right? I was just like, wait, doesn't the NFL have people that check these type of things? Multiple audits. The other thing that's come to my mind, too, Mike, you know, just – over the last 24 hours, maybe the NFL doesn't even want to be associated with Washington right now. They're kind of just like, let them deal with this crap. Let them deal with the releasing the statement and all of this. And we'll just let it all pile on them and try to kind of protect the shield by kind of staying out of the way here a little bit. That's a good point. Uh, good point. We're going to back off here right. because you know what? Right now, it's crumbling. We're just going to let it keep crumbling. We're not going to help. We're not throwing a lifeline. We're not going to. We're not going to make it worse. We're not going to make it better. We're just going to let it happen because right now it feels like that's what's happening. It does. It feels like it's crumbling. Mm-hmm. It, it does. It feels like it is, and it feels like it's like a no-win situation for the NFL to a degree to jump in and give statements for this franchise all the time. You know, it, it does to to a degree. I think maybe there is some bit of a you know, publicity or media ploy there and thinking of like, let's not just associate ourselves with the commanders at, you know, every time something comes up right now. So it can be NFL commanders, NFL commanders, let them deal with it. I I can understand that logic. The obvious exit strategy is Dan Snyder walks away and really walks away, walks away and has no connection, excommunicated from the team. His wife owns it and runs it for now and his kids get it later because I was told two years ago his objective in in dealing with all of these fights and all of these issues and working his way through everything and fending off every attack was he wants to give the team to his kids. Now, if I'm a Washington fan, I don't I don't know that I want that long term, but if that's a way for them to get him out and move forward with minimal pain and suffering for the league at large, that may be something that you hope he offers at some point on his own, or maybe at the right time you offer it to him. That may be the exit strategy. Otherwise, it's just going to be ongoing chaos. And the ongoing chaos is good for us. It's not good for the league. And you can say there's no such thing as bad publicity. There's a point where 
every day something else with the commanders, every day some other controversy, every day some other allegation that puts the team in the league in a bad light, at a certain point it's not good for anybody. Uh, definitely. I think you couple that with Deshaun Watson and the Browns right now and then the litany of issues with Washington – you know, and still the cheerleaders and the mistreating of people, and 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 of course this now with the withholding of money allegedly and all that. I know it's all allegedly, but yeah, there there is a point where yeah, it, it's not good publicity. It's not helping them in any shape, or way, or form. The NFL, it's not. It it looks horrible right now, and it it's to the point where with Washington, I'm getting to the point a little bit like I felt like with like. Rodgers and Brady, where I'm a little bit like, oh my gosh, would they just go away? I'm so sick of talking about them every day about what they might do, what they might not want to do, what they meant by this. Holy cow, Washington's a disaster. The only person that probably likes this is Jerry Jones, since no one is paying the kind of attention to the things well, that are going on with the Cowboys eh. lately that they otherwise would be. You're, it's a nice distraction. You're right. It's not nearly the intensity that it would be getting if we didn't have all of these other issues. No, you're, you're exactly right there. That one there has totally just seemed like it's gone off the radar of the national media and people have just given up. They, they dealt with that storm or that firestorm there. But there's, and, a, but there's other stuff. I mean, it's, it, you know, it's based upon reporting last week from ESPN, yeah. it's the ex-husband of Charlotte Jones Anderson who is, according to the Cowboys, right. and they're – sending nasty letters to lawyers, making threats and requesting that the that, that documents be retained to try to prove that there's some sort of conspiracy to extort money from Jerry Jones and the Cowboys, that Shy Anderson, the ex-husband of Charlotte Jones Anderson, is somehow involved in. And these are all allegations that are outlined in reporting from Don Van Natta. And then you've got the 25-year-old congressional aide who claims that she's the daughter of Jerry Jones, and there's litigation there. And last week, Jones admitted through a spokesperson that money has been paid to this person over the years, but no comment on whether or not Jones is actually her father. I mean, it's a mess on multiple fronts for them. And this is the Cowboys. It's amazing. It's not getting more attention, but I think there's only so much we can deal with. Right. And this other stuff is allowing the Cowboys thing, which is kind of this vague amorphous. We don't really know what to make of it. It's kind of being pushed off to the side, which is surprising to me because ordinarily you would think anything with the Cowboys and Jerry Jones would be front and center. Well, I, th- I feel like in the, wa- in the Washington area, the local media is pursuing these stories still. I feel like in just again, and maybe I'm not Maybe I'm wrong. Don Van Ad is the only one with a new reporting. That, that's what I'm Dallas saying. Stuff. In Dallas, they're all in bed with the Cowboys. Oh, Jerry, we're going to training. We're going to Oxnard. We're going to California. We're going to hang out with you. We're going to get access to you every moment we want. Oh, we, we won't tell any of your dirty laundry. I mean, that's what seems like is going on down there, at least from 10,000 feet above here. Let's take a break on that note. <laughs> that's a good point. That's a good. All I'll say is that's probably a pretty good point. We'll have uh, more PFT live when we return. Four teams began their offseason workouts yesterday. We'll play a game of which doesn't belong and why with those four franchises when we continue right after this. The suits I had in my early NFL career, the money I wasted on suits that I can never wear again. Yes. Oh, my gosh. What was I thinking? Why did I think I was going to be part of MC Hammer's background dancers? I don't know what I thought. You weren't? No, I never got that opportunity. They never needed me there. They never needed me. My suits, they were ready. (laughs) (laughs) Quick meet, baby. I want to see these suits. I want to see these suits. I mean, did you have, was it like a big oversized Ben McAdoo suit, like, 
Justin Bieber wore to the Grammys the other night? What? What are these? Give, give me an idea what these suits well, look like. Know. And wh- why don't you show up wearing one of them one day? Well, I, I know. I don't want to. I'm embarrassed by them. I mean, it's like you remember the early 2000s. I mean, again, everything was about like big and baggy. I mean, the jeans were baggy. I used to wear these big t-shirts and that's the way you know michael jordan made the suits that you know the legs are baggy and this broad shoulders like a cool thing and that's what everybody did so i mean i put them on now and i'm like damn i mean it looks like i got like you know shoulder pads in the in the jacket the pants like i could fit two of my legs in each hole and i just go what the hell was i thinking thinking that this was going to last the test of time. Like, what a stupid thing to do. Just stay with classic and traditional when it comes to suits if you want them to last the test of time. But they all do change over time. I know. I mean, there is a subtle shift. I remember 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah, I just – if if any of them still fit you, which they probably don't, and maybe they're not baggy anymore. Maybe that's that's the benefit – they were baggy 20 years ago, but now that you've got full-blown dad bod going, they'll fit you like a glove. <laughs> Maybe they will. Maybe I do need to try some of them on. <laughs> I definitely have put on a few pounds and, and could fill out some areas that I used to not be able to. Yeah, it says <laughs> a big mountain of chicken fingers and french fries you eat every Sunday. Uh, and, and that's just during. That's just when I can see you. Yeah. I'm good. I'm good on the week. During the week, I'm good. I'm a healthy eater during the week. You know, But it, it is the weekend's. That can get dicey, certainly, you know. Case of the munchies and get a drink in me and watch out. I'm a never-ending stomach, and it's a big pit down there. Hey, let me tell you something. Speaking of French fries, because, you know, they're not healthy for you, but if you make them in an air fryer and they're not actually fried in grease, they taste just as good. Mm. So you can eat the whole bag. Wow. You eat the entire bag uh, with lots of ketchup. So uh, the, the the air fryer the air fryer is a godsend because it it it, it 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 cooks the stuff right and it tastes just like it does coming out of the hot grease without all of the you know downside of the hot grease including okay. the people who work in the fast food restaurants getting burned by the hot grease like I used to do many years ago all right which doesn't belong and why Bears Giants Dolphins Saints began their offseason workouts yesterday let's start with young quarterbacks in a prove it year Justin Fields Daniel Jones Tua Tagovailoa which doesn't belong and why? I think Justin Fields is the one that doesn't belong. And I don't look at it as like a prove-it year for Justin Fields. I look at it like last year was a rookie. It's a good year. Showed a lot of promise. We see the talent. And now it's a new coaching staff, and we just see where it goes. And I, I don't look at this as the same scenario of Daniel Jones where we go, well, all right, this is it. Like it's, it's the fifth year. We got to see – or the fourth year. We got to see some improvements or this guy's out of here. Tua – there's no excuses. We got all this talent around. It's been a rocky road. You know, if you don't make it happen this year, at least look pretty damn good. We got to start thinking another way. Justin Fields, I feel like we're years away from that conversation, and I, I don't think he's in the same boat as those other two guys. I'm going to say Tua, not because he's set up to fail, but he's set up to have zero excuses. So if he doesn't perform, he will have failed. They didn't do it on purpose, per se. It's not one of the direct objectives. But if they're not good this year, if the offense struggles this year, it's him. There's no other excuses. It's him. So he's the one, to me, that feels like he's the closest to being out the door. Sorry to and on, but uh, it just feels that way from an outsider's perspective. Right. First-time head coaches, which doesn't belong and why. Matt Eberflus of the Bears, Brian Dayball of the Giants, Mike McDaniel of the Dolphins, mm. which doesn't belong and why. Well, you know, I, I think the one that pops to me here – and they all have a little different uh, subtle things about them. But 
I think it was Mike, Mike McDaniel. One, it was a little bit of a you know different hire. He's a different type of guy. You know, there is the pressure of the Flores situation there. And then I think what I also think where I put him in a different situation is, you know, a little bit like what you just said with Tua. Like, the team is good. They're there. They're, you know, we don't want to see a step back or two steps back with the quality of the roster that the Miami Dolphins have. The defense is awesome. There's stars all over the place. The offense, you can kind of say the same thing. And they've added to their offense. So I look at it with, like, Day ball and going, man, there's a lot of work there to be done with the Giants. You know, they're not ready for prime time yet. Same thing with the Bears. And then I look at Mike McDaniel and go, eh, they're kind of ready for prime time. That could be interesting there. I'm going to say Eber flew back to underscore a point that I've made many years now, every year. He's a defensive guy. So yeah. if they do well, what's going to happen? Luke Getze, the offensive coordinator, is going to be a head coach somewhere else. And then you got to start all over again with Justin Fields. That to me, strategically when you got a young quarterback if you truly want to get the most out of that young quarterback you want an offensive coach who's going to be joined at the hip with that quarterback for years to come like Sean Payton and Drew Brees because if you do well now goodbye to Luke Getzey and you got to start all over again and I know that a guy like Eberflus would say well good problem to have and you yeah. know we'll have a system here and right. we hire somebody who continues doing what we do. there's always going to be differences there's always going to be changes the only way to avoid change is to make sure it's the same guy running the offense as a coach, the same guy running the offense as a player you know, for as long as you possibly can. So that's why that's the guy who stands out Ma- to me. Mike, I, got, I, I hear you there. You know, I, but I've never really thought about this. This kind of just came to my head organically there while you were explaining this. I don't even know if it's allowed. I, I'd be interested here. Like, what, because the point you're talking about is very real. We know that. It's in the – the logic of a lot of NFL teams when hiring head coaches and thinking about this a little bit. Is there a tool that maybe these defensive coaches can start to use contractually on the offensive guys they hire a little bit? Like you got, you're guaranteed you have to stay here two years can't, or three years. Can't, you can't, can't do that. shut down their ability to become yeah. a head coach. Okay. That's elsewhere. what I thought. I just, the, I wasn't the, the, sure. Here's the tool. Yeah. The tool is you give them enough money and they're never interested. Yeah. But, uh, and pay them more than what pay them more than what they would get as a head coach. That would be the way to do it. But yeah, that's you can't you yeah. cannot yeah. erect a barrier to a guy's opportunity to leave. Anytime before March one, we got into that last week with the Rooney Rule and whether and to what extent it does and doesn't apply after March one. It doesn't because after March one, teams can say you can't talk to our guys. Before then, they can't say you are prohibited from interviewing one of our assistants to become your head coach. All right, NFC win totals, which doesn't belong and why, over, under, style from points bet. Giants at 7.5, Saints at 7.5, Bears at 6.5, which doesn't belong and why. Uh, the Saints. The Saints, uh, we talked about this yesterday. That's the one that jumps out to me just because I still think there's a lot of tools in place for them to be a pain in the butt in the NFC. And, and, again, we'll see what they do with these two first-round picks they got and see if they make any other moves. But I think there's still a lot to respect about the football team. It's still the same coaching staff, just no Sean Payton. The defense is still – it's pretty much all there. You lost Malcolm Jen- Jenkins to retirement. But, damn, you know, I know no Teron Armstead, but it's still a good offensive line. You still got Alvin Kamara. Mike, Mike, Michael Thomas, you, you think, is back at this point at least. So the Saints are the one I look at that are just a little different class than the Giants and Bears as of right now. 
We spent some time yesterday talking about our belief that the Saints are too low at seven and a half, given all the players they have, given the continuity of the coaching staff, even though Sean Payton's gone. Somebody pointed this out to me, not anyone in the league, a reader sent in an email, and it was a little hostile, but it makes a good point, and we've kind of forgotten about it. Alvin Kamara was in that weird thing at Pro Bowl, and he got arrested, he got charged, and I guess we need to factor that possibility that Alvin Kamara is going to miss some time this year. I don't know how quickly or slowly this is going to move forward to the point where he would potentially be suspended. And and he's not a quarterback, so it's not quite the same as we got to take him off the board like the Browns are off the board. But that could affect at some point the ability of the Saints to win games if this legal situation comes to a head and Kamara isn't available for one or more games this year, not because of injury, but because of this off-field situation. So we at least have to yeah. have that somewhere on the yeah, corner of the radar screen. We do. He's too damn good of a player. We saw it last year. When he wasn't in there, they just threw him with the same offense. And, of course, he's the great way to break Jameis Winston back in again. Easy throws out of the backfield, hand the ball to him. Uh, he's still a special football player. But you're right. That is something we kind of have forgotten about, and I would expect him to – you know, lose a few games this year. I, I would as we sit here now. We'll take a break. When we return, Chris revealed his draft rankings yesterday for defensive backs, which include an air quotes generational talent. We'll discuss that <laughs> when PFT Live continues right after this. There are the Chris Sims 2022 cornerback draft rankings led by Sauce Gardner guy who is widely regarded to be the top yeah. in the class. What what did you see in him that set him apart, Chris? Well, it, it's just rare to be like that size, you know, 6'4", 6'3", and change, whatever exactly is, and to have that type of speed too. You know, Mike, you know, guys like that, usually with that type of length, you know, it's, it's build-up speed. They're not the greatest and quickest at changing directions and doing things like that, but that's not an issue with this kid. He's got incredible feet for his size. The run 4-4-1 also at his size. It's real. He's got great strength. You know, the ability because of that size and length too, Mike. One of those guys that can kind of jam you, push you into the sidelines and be like, yeah, where are you going to go? There's nowhere to go now. And I'm just as fast as you. So we're stuck. I mean, it's kind of a no-brainer with that one in, 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 in that department. It's just the fact that 6-3, tape to back it up. Not a lot of guys on the planet that got that kind of athleticism with that kind of length to go along with it. Receiver knows where he's going. Cornerback doesn't. It makes that agility, this change of direction, the speed, all of those things more critical for the guy who's reacting to what the receiver is trying to do. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he's, he never allowed – now, it was Cincinnati, and I don't know what conference they've been in, but still, he never allowed a touchdown – in his college career. That's pretty impressive. Very impressive. It, it is. I mean, he, he's one of those guys that got good ball skills. He's scary. He didn't really want to attack him. And you were kind of like, if you're going to play Cincinnati, now they had another pretty good corner who I think is going to get drafted in the mid-rounds. But either way, I think it's one of those where teams are like, eh, there's better places to attack than this guy over here. So not only can he play man and do that too, you know, he's got a good football IQ. He's going to be great in zones too because of his quickness and short areas, Mike. You know, oh, we're trying to put a receiver behind him and in front of him. You know, he'll be able to cover ground. And because of that length too, he'll be a pain in the butt to throw around. So when it comes to receivers like Mike Evans and DeAndre Hopkins of the world and that, man, Sauce Gardner was put on earth to guard those guys right there. 
When we were talking during the season about all the interceptions Trevon Diggs was having for the Cowboys and people just assume, hey, if he has a lot of interceptions, he must be a great corner. And no disrespect, but if you're a great corner, you don't get many receptions, if any, because they quit throwing in your direction. Exactly. Deion Sanders did not have a lot of interceptions because you just wiped out half of the field. You don't even think about throwing it his way. Yes, exactly. Right. With Diggs, it was kind of like the gift and the curse. You were like, man, we can burn him probably like four times for 130 yards in this game, but he might get us once or twice with some crazy interception. Uh, so you're, you're exactly right that way. But this is one of those guys, yeah, that I think classifies as let's not mess with him for sure. And I think he translates to really just about any defensive scheme. You know, the teams that run the Seattle defensive scheme, they're going to love him and go, oh, he's Richard Sherman. And then the other teams that play man and do different things as far as more versatile on that side of the ball, they're going to go, we love him too. He can do all of that stuff. So really a pretty safe pick and a pretty incredibly talented kid out of Cincinnati. Derek Stingley Mm. Jr. out of LSU. He's not on your top five. Everybody else has him as a very high pick. How high were you? Everybody has them as a high something with a but or an if or a ooh and a ooh and a if and a what and a but and a if. And it's like it, uh, the talent, You there, there's the things to look at and go, oh, my gosh, these are the way he looks. Just the, first off, the way he looks in his uniform, he looks like a superstar. He looks like a Darrell Revis, a Champ Bailey. He's got incredible hips. You know, he does. He's really, like, silky smooth with some of the movements he does, Mike. The problem is his best year of football was three years ago. It was his freshman year. Sophomore year, it was not very good, and he got hurt. This past year, it was good, but I didn't turn on the film this past year. Oh, my gosh, he's back. He's reinvigorating. He's shutting down. This guy's everywhere. No, let alone there's you know plays where you go, well, this guy shouldn't be catching a ball on him. And how does he miss that tackle? And he doesn't seem like he cares. And then he's got injuries. And then we're talking about film that is less than each year after the freshman year. You know, to me, that this is what I couldn't get behind that. You know, again, I, I recognize there's talent and he could be a guy that maybe really ends up, you know, shutting me up and being one of the best corners in the sport. But I wouldn't be able to draft him in the first round with what I've seen on film the last two years and everything to go along with it, along the injuries. To me, it's just too risky. It's too much on urban legend and, oh, he was the number one defensive guy coming out. And, oh, look what he did for that national championship team. And I want to just go, but there's not enough here the last two years, enough meat and potatoes to really go, you you sure you're going to make him a top 10, top 20 pick? That's where I just can't get behind that. Rest assured that if he does become a star player and we're interviewing him, say, at the Super Bowl or whatever, we won't bring any of this. I, it, listen, I deserve it. I, this is, we won't play any of it. We won't. <laughs> he's scary. You know, but, but you know, the, the, the guy I used, in, and, and again, I'm rooting for this kid. I, I want to make sure people know that. And I recognize that there's real potential. And I respect the family. The family loves football. His grandfather, as we know, was the ex-wide receiver for the Patriots. Mike, I don't know if you knew that or not, who got paralyzed, right? That's his grandfather. Exactly. So it's a family thing here for sure. But, you know, I also, you know, yeah, I feel like we're living a little bit on where he was ranked coming out of high school. He It reminds me a little of Robert Kimdichie. Remember when he came out of Ole Miss? You remember that name? You know, it was the yes. same thing. He was the number one defensive recruit in the country. He had a pretty good freshman year. 
And then it kind of went downhill from there. But everybody was like, man, but he's such an athlete. And the combine and the way he looks. And I would turn on the film and go, but yeah, when he gets double teamed, he's 30 yards down the field and they're just running right over him. Like what? So just because he had a good workout and he was ranked cool and he had a few good highlight plays, we're just going to wipe off the slate and don't forget about those 40 horrible plays. That you know, and not to say it's quite quite to that extent, but it, there's to me a worry there, and I wouldn't be able to put my name to drafting him in the first round. That's for sure. Real quickly, Notre Dame safety Kyle Hamilton being touted as generational. Yeah, do you agree? Well, I don't think he's generational yet. I would say. He is a really good football player. 6'4-220, Mike. 4'59 at the combine. People question the speed a little bit. The film doesn't show you anything to go, well, I question the speed. First off, he has great size to play the run. He's a great tackler. And he's really phenomenal in coverage for his size. You know, great ball skills. He's a kid I've seen in person working the Notre Dame games. He can do everything. So what I would say is He's got a chance to be generational. He does uh, because he's, he's got strength of a linebacker. He's got great football instincts. He can tackle. He can cover. He can, he can uh, as you see, catch the ball naturally. There's really, like, nothing he can't do on the football field. Made to cover the Travis Kelseys and the Darren Wallers of the world, Mike. That's where he can has a chance to be generational that way, to go, ooh, we've never had a quite this kind of guy, this athletic in the NFL, and be able to really handle some of these awesome pass-catching tight ends. Sorry, that wasn't quick, but I had to talk good about him. All right, let's go ahead and take a break because we got a draft that flows from something we discussed earlier in the program with the possibility of DK Metcalf and Brandon Cooks being traded. The teams that need to make a big receiver move the most will do that draft when this Tuesday edition of PFT Live continues right after this. Devontae Adams, there he is. There he is with his new quarterback. I didn't recognize him. I've never seen him in a sleeveless T-shirt before. I didn't recognize Derek Carr. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Teams that need to make a big receiver move. The Vegas Raiders have already done it by picking up Devontae Adams. Here's a trivia question for you, Christopher, to determine the first pick in this all-important draft. Brandon Cooks is the second player in NFL history to have a thousand receiving C, a thousand to have a 1,000-yard, easy for him to say, receiving season with four different teams. Who was the first player to have a 1,000-yard receiving season with four different teams? I think I know the answer. Oh, wow. You do. You know the answer right away. No, huh? I don't. I thought I did. I oh, don't. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not. So, okay, man, this is a tough one, and I'm very interested in it. Is it recently? Was it in the next last, like, is it in the 2000s? Can you get it? Hey, man. Okay, fine. Should You're... we give him a – okay, Yes. It was in the 2000s. Yes. It didn't really help me. I'm it's going to still... make it even more embarrassing when you get it wrong. Yeah, oh, man, it's that obvious, huh? It's like one of those that's like, uh, that's stupid. All right, go ahead. Don't tell me who it is. It's oh, my gosh. Teammate. Damn it. Yeah, I should have known that. We should have known that. Brandon who Marshall. we interviewed at the Super Bowl and right. was awesome. Yep, Brandon, Brandon Marshall. Marshall. Right. Did it with the Broncos, Dolphins, Bears, and the New York Jets. Wow. All right. Uh, well, I'll start with the Jets. Let's start right there. That's yeah. the most obvious one. They try to get Tyreek Hill. They've got multiple first-round picks. They've got Zach Wilson. They're trying to turn a team around after years of dysfunction. If they would get a DK Metcalf, it would clearly be their best receiver since Brandon Marshall or Keyshawn Johnson. And it's not like there's many that pop off the page since who was the guy in the 60s? It wasn't Don Hudson. Who was the guy in the 60s that was their great receiver? 
I don't know when you I know, hear the name. Yeah, you know I, I'm I'm Maynard, about. Uh, my Maynard. Don Maynard. Uh, Don, thank Don you very Hudson, much. What, come Maynard. on, old timer. Well Get your brain together. Don Maynard. <laughs> All right. Uh, Jets. All right. Good one by you. Certainly one of the first picks I was thinking. I'm going to go with the Packers. I mean, the draft is teams that need to make a wide receiver move. I don't believe they will. They won't make a big move because they don't make moves. That's what they don't do. Um, but uh, they, they need it. Uh, they do. Again, like we've talked about, it's it's scary right now when you just look at their roster and who they got there at wide receiver. And again, I don't know what it will entail, but there's got to be something, whether it's DK or make your major moves in the draft to make sure they get the guys they want. But, yes, uh, they're a team that's in desperate need of somebody to make a play at wide receiver position. I'm going to go with the Chiefs for a similar reason because even though even though they traded away Tyreek Hill and chose not to pay him, I still think there was an element of fatigue with Tyreek Hill. Things we don't know about, things that I'm not even suggesting I know about. But I do know that one of the teams that was interested in Tyreek Hill did some due diligence and came to the conclusion that Tyreek Hill's becoming a little bit too, a little bit too much of a problem for the Chiefs, a little bit too much of a diva, wanted too much money, too, too big for his role in that offense. So... I think the Chiefs obviously need to replace that capacity, but just think if they would make the move for DK Metcalf and get DK Metcalf. Holy, how we would feel like that about the Kansas City Chiefs because we really weren't all that troubled by them losing Tyree Kill, even though we should have been. If they would replace him with DK Metcalf, holy crap! Can you imagine DK Metcalf in that offense? Now I don't know how they pull it off financially. Yeah. But but wouldn't it be great for the Seahawks too? Hey Russ, hey Russ, we traded you the Broncos. We traded your favorite weapon to <laughs> a team you're going to play twice per right? year. Another another reason for the Seahawks to be attracted by that possibility. But the Chiefs definitely need to make a big move. Well, I, I would think they're looking at some capacity to find that number one game changer type of guy. I don't know. Maybe they are going to try to do it by committee this year. Maybe either way. I, I don't know. But I hear you. There's logic behind it for sure. Hey, it's a team that's predicated on what Mahomes and the passing offense does to another team and how much pressure they can put on you that way. That's really how they play. That's their style. So uh, I do get what you're saying there, certainly, and I, I wrote them down too. Um, I'm going to go with the Colts as the next one I look at. Uh, I, I understand they got Michael Pittman Jr. He's really good, but, man, after that, I, again, I don't. there's not a commodity on the roster where you go, oh, well, if he got hurt, this guy, he'll carry the workload and help the football team, and he can make plays and be a difference maker. Colts are so close in so many fronts, like we've discussed before. It's a really good football team. You know, They got everything you want. They made the trade to get the difference maker in Yannick Ngakwe, you know, so to get him. But I still think they need one other guy on the offensive side of the ball. They got Paris Campbell, who has like big-time talent but can never stay healthy. Uh, they're a team that I look at that could be helped out by that wide receiver move. Let's take a break. We'll do the final round of our draft of the teams that need to make a receiver move the most when PFT Live concludes right after this. All right, there we are so far, the teams that need to make a big receiver move. I'm going to go with the Chicago Bears. They have quietly yeah. seen their receiving court erode. And when you want to try to get the most out of Justin Fields, you better do something. Allen Robinson is gone. They added Byron Pringle from the Chiefs. They added Equinemius St. Brown. They, they need to do more than that 
if they're going to have the kind of receiving core that's going to help boost and support Justin Fields. I agree with you there, 100%. That would have been my next pick if you didn't take it. Uh, they, they need somebody like that. Yeah, you, you got a huge investment. You traded a first-round pick to get Justin Fields. He's shown the ability to go, woo, there's something here. You know, why not, you know, give him the support? You know, that's one thing I just don't understand sometimes with, like, these, you know, these rookie quarterbacks that the team believe in. I want to go, well, wait, we have some guys here to show you that when they had talent around them right away, their careers took off right away, a.k.a. this guy named Patrick Mahomes. Heard of him? Some people might have. All right. My last one is um, I'm going to go with the Ravens. I'll go with the Ravens. I am. There's there's lack of like teams out there that I look at to go that really really need it badly. Blah blah blah. You know, I thought about the Lions, but the Ravens. I look at them and go, no. I mean, I know they got Hollywood Brown. He's good. I get that. You know, very small can be inconsistent and sometimes fall off the radar on their offense. You want to run the ball, do some of the speed sweeps, the reverses, and have a receiver that can block and do all that. Man, DK Metcalf would be made for the Ravens that way. They do have Rashad Bateman. I know they do. By the do. way, changed right. his number to seven. Ooh. He is now number seven. Remember, That's cool. last year that rule came in, but you couldn't change without buying out the inventory of your jerseys. I think Dalvin Cook's changing to number four this year, too. So we're going to see more wow. of that happen. Okay. Also, also, here's a tease for an upcoming post at PFT. The commanders have now responded to the response to the response to the response to the response. So there's another statement as we go PR ping pong over these allegations regarding financial improprieties and ticket memories. So check it out on PFTPM. But in the interim, check out ProFootballTalk.com for the story on that. Chris, great stuff as always. Thank you, Michael. We're out of time. We're actually able to lay in the plane in the final few seconds and not rush yeah, off the right? air. Now we're Look rushing off the air. You don't even know what to say. We're out of time. See ya. Everybody have a great day. Get out of here. Bye.